Welcome listeners to Learning From Friends. As you know, I'm your tour guide, Kay Curtis, on this lovely adventure that I get to call my podcast and you as well, my listeners. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. It's glad to have you. If you're a returning listener, thank you for continuing to coming back and listening to these lovely episodes. As you all know, I like to start off my episodes with quote of the day for my mother that sends me these wonderful inspirations of life every day or every other day, whenever she comes across. She has like a filing cabinet drawer full of stuff, so it's always fun to see what she sends me. But today's quote comes from Ralph Waldo Emerson. To know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. Beautiful words, mom, on sharing that across with me and our listeners now out there as well. It's fitting because my guest today, Joseph Molnax, or Joe as I like to call him, is a 10-year special education teacher, wrestling coach, football coach, and we're going to touch a lot on these topics to kind of see what it takes to be a good coach and an educator because the hours are long and many of the work actually goes unseen. And so that's crack open that door a little bit and kind of see what it's like behind there, my friends. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Cade. It's a pleasure that you take time out of your day, especially your summer vacation, because we're still wrapping up a lot of our summer vacation time. We're coming down to like, what do we got, two, two and a half weeks left before we get two our kids? Two and a half weeks left before pre-planning, so <laughs> yeah, it's getting is, there. <laughs> it's getting there, and you're already in practices right now with football, yeah. getting prepared up. So we've been going, pretty much we do three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, just probably about eight to ten, you know, two hours, so just quick run, quick lift. And we do get some practice time with helmet only. So we've been going since the beginning of June. And this week's dead week. And so we'll pick it back up Monday. We'll have two more weeks and then practice starts. Man, that's doesn't summer didn't break for you. No. <laughs> summer didn't break for you. Now suppose I were to look up saying make it a Wikipedia page and I go, hey, what what is who is Joe Molinax? What would be kind of like a summary that you would want someone to know about you? if they found this Wikipedia page? I'm from Cherokee County. I've lived here my entire life. Outside of the time I spent in college, I started off in Buffton Elementary for a little bit, split to Macedonia for sixth grade, went to Teasley. Always tried to do things throughout school. And even in band or middle school, I was in middle school band with Miss Mullins for seventh grade. Played the tuba in eighth grade with Mr. Norton and Mr. Carter actually was in the district honor band, eighth grade, with a couple other people. So I was actually decent at that. And then when I went to high school, which is kind of sports took over because I kind of felt like that what was going to help me out. Even coming out of middle school, I kind of knew I wanted to get into teaching and coaching. Cherokee, played football, wrestled, and threw shot putting discus for track a little bit. I didn't do track all four years. I only did that about two years. Always felt like it was a pretty good time at Cherokee. We were pretty fortunate to go through a pretty good group of football. I mean, went to the playoffs a couple of years, the lead eight, freshman and sophomore year. Got to go to Valdosta freshman year, Camden County sophomore year. We got to play in the Georgia Dome our senior year that was for the really Corky cool. Kell Classics. I always felt like there were some pretty good things that we got to experience in the high school. I was fortunate enough to get recruited by some schools for football. Uh, never was the tallest person, certainly had the size, just not the height. Visited around some schools and didn't really know where I wanted to go, but I did know that I just wanted to play football. And I think that's kind of what helped me out in high school is I just knew I didn't want to stop 
after high school. So visited some schools. Recruiting when we were in high school is completely different than it is now. Like, I mean, we were still making DVDs and sending it out. Getting the letters to come through the mail. Sending it out to coaches, you know. <laughs> the only social media we had was MySpace. So, I mean, it was completely you different. You forgot about Zanga, then. man. We had like the little block for Zanga. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, went, I ended up going to Union College, which is in Barberville, Kentucky. It is in the same conference as Ron Hart right now, but Ron Hart wasn't around then. So ended up going to Union College. That's in the Mid-South Conference Classic. It's an NAIA school. Able to get some scholarship money to play football there. I think the thing that really drew me to Union is playing in high school. I didn't really want to sit on the bench coming out of high school. And so going to a smaller school like that, I felt like it was really my chance to work my way in with a starting rotation sooner than later. So I went to Union, had a pretty good four years there, started 35, 36 games, nice. appeared in almost 40. I got hurt right at the beginning of my freshman year, so that kind of hurt me a little bit. I missed a couple of games due to that. But it was a great experience and majored in education, actually majored in physical education, thinking maybe I might be able to get into that. And 10 years later, I still have yet to get in physical education, but that's fine. I've actually really enjoyed being a special ed. Came home, graduated in December, so wasn't able to get a job right off the bat. I actually worked at Coffee AM in Freehome for oh, yeah. about seven months. Right next to my parents. Yeah, yeah, so I actually ended up working in a coffee warehouse for about seven months. I actually learned how to roast it learning how to roast over learning how to drive the forklift it's the uh, smells are so beautiful yeah. of, of smelling that and so i ended up getting hired at rivers high school in 2012 one of our former coaches at cherokee keith manus he was actually coaching at rivers at the time former athletic director at cherokee mike baker who was at cherokee when we were there he was ad there and I ended up emailing him, and he got me an interview like the next day with Daryl Herring, who was the principal that started Rivers High School. And so I went in for my interview, knew I was going to be coaching football. I'd actually interviewed in some other places. I actually interviewed at Cherokee with Miss Murdoch before interviewing with River Ridge. Interviewed at some schools in Cobb County, so I kind of knew at the time going into it I was going to have to do more than just coach football to get your foot in the door. So I got the job as special education, general curriculum, IRR, which is team teacher. Yes. So I team taught my first three years and I accepted the football job and ended up being the head freshman football coach my first year. Briefly after that, after I went in for my second interview that I was going to have to coach track as well, shot put and discus. So I did that the first three years and then... About June or July, the current wrestling coach at the time, Coach Sims, he left and decided to get out of teaching. And so at that point, you know, you only have so many allotments and all the allotments were filled. And so at that point, you're trying to piece together and find a coach within from the people you've hired. And so myself and Matt Rice, he from Cherokee County as well, went to Woodstock. He was coming over from Woodstock High School and... We got an email from Mr. Heron asking that we needed the school needed a head wrestling coach and an assistant wrestling coach. And of course, at the time, being 22, 23, never taught, haven't coached anything. I offered 
to be the assistant coach. And then one of the things I found out, Mike Baker, he's a great guy. He said, oh, Joe Russell in high school, he can be the head coach. I was the head coach. <laughs> one more, so, you know, add it on. Before I even stepped in the first day of pre-planning, I found myself being the head freshman football coach, head wrestling coach, an assistant track coach doing shot putting discus. On top of teaching. <laughs> On top of teaching. And so learning the IEP process, which Cherokee County has one of the most rigorous IEP processes in the entire state. It's um, tough. And that's a lot of learning curve right there. Yeah. A lot of learning curve. And uh, so I got into there and I did track. I did three sports for three years and kind of my way of getting out of three sports is offered to go back and get my CDL. Cherokee County actually offers a training program for teachers and coaches if they wish to get their CDL to drive athletic buses or activity buses. And so getting out of the third sport, I went back and got my CDL. I went through the two-week training program with the county to drive a school bus. And I still have my CDL. I did that really to help out with wrestling because used to you had I mean you had to pay for it. Now we have a traveling budget. As the longer I've been in education, the better things have gotten. And so really I got my CDL to help out with wrestling so we wouldn't have to pay for transportation. After three years of being team taught, I decided to stay at River Ridge, kind of make a career change as far as the seven forty five to three forty five. And I went through a training program and got certified in something called CTI, which is career technical instruction. It's still labeled under the special education umbrella. I worked with the special education students in the career tech classes. And so basically what I did is I provided a consult service based on the service plan and the IEP. I would work with those kids in those classes. It's actually a really good job. Been very fortunate to do that for seven years. I make I base my schedule off of the kids and just go from class to class to class. I'm not in a class for the whole period. I may go to two or three classes based off the consultation time frame of the service plan and kind of just what the teachers are doing as well. Like if the food's teacher, she's in the kitchen cooking. I might actually stay in the kitchen that whole period because she would have been in there for an hour with 35 kids. Yeah, that's and a so lot. So just kind of helping out with that. Like I said, I've been a head wrestling coach for 10 years, and this year I actually stepped down from wrestling. I have an eight-year-old son named Knox who will be nine in October, and then I have a four-month-old daughter, McKinley, who will be five months old next week. And I've kind of taken Knox with me when I have him. And he's been going to work out since he was two. I mean, summer workouts. Is he I mean, jacked I've up dragged... and got muscles on top of muscles, too? He's yeah. getting out there deadlifting already himself. He, he's actually complete opposite of me. He is very smart, very smart. He goes to Cherokee or Community Christian, and he actually tested and he skipped second grade and went into third grade. Wow. So he's going to be a fourth grader this year, but he is a sweet soul. Very opposite of me, but he is. He did start taking karate in March, so we do finally get him in something. But he did want to wrestle for a little bit. One of the things Knox says, and I, if he doesn't like sports, I guess I would have to say it's probably my fault because he's he knows football's hot, like football's hot. Oh yeah, like going outside. Wrestling never really bothered him that much because it's in the winter time. It's inside. There was a time when he wanted to wrestle. And so I said, okay, well, how about this? I said, let's go to a practice. So I took him to one of our junior program practices and I said, let's try it. There you go. Because I said, Hands no, on. you need to finish it if you start it. But I said, this is just a tryout. 
I said, I'm not going to register you because once I register, you're going to have to finish it. You start, you finish and it. And so he was doing really good. He liked it. But I mean, at that point, junior program wrestling, you can start when they have six U, which is six and under. So you can start when you're in kindergarten. Oh, wow. I didn't all the way realize. up to 14. Wow. And so, you know, five, six-year-olds being five, six years old, I told him, I said, you got to listen to the coach like you would listen to me. And so the coach, he went through, he did really good during the whole practice. And he was listening to the coach go over something. They were just standing there, supposed to be paying attention. And then another kid, just being a five-year-old, came up, vined him, picked him up when he wasn't expecting it, and slammed him down. And he was oh. like, I'm done. I was like, okay. I said, that's, that's fine. And so I, just, I was at a point in my life where, and it's like I told the kids when I gave up wrestling, I said, you know, for 10 years now, I've put in other people's kids before my own and I made the decision before McKinley was born and I just knew that I had done that with Knox and I had missed a lot of time with my son and so I just felt like I was at a point in my career where I really needed to make the decision to put my family first before other people's kids so I've stepped out of wrestling I'm still doing football I'm still at River Ridge High School I'm actually going into a different role at River Ridge. I'm moving into the role as the EBD teacher, which is the emotional behavior disorder, because I've always felt like I've, what was weird is like not really having a lot of experience with special education going into teaching. I've actually grown more accustomed to it and really connecting with those kids more so than maybe regular ed students. I mean, honestly, outside of special ed, I'd say only the students that I'm really connected to are the ones that I coach. Yeah. So I've just really kind of gotten to have a, I guess you would say, become a big softy when it comes to some of the special education students, because you really find out stories and some of the backgrounds of where those kids come from. And you do realize with some of them, there's a rhyme and there is a reason as to why they are the way they are. So Still coaching football. Actually, really enjoy coaching football right now. Uh, I was almost to the point a couple of years ago where I thought maybe I might get out of football versus wrestling. But then Mike Collins, I'm sure some Cherokee people might know who that is. He was at Cherokee from in 03, 04. And then he left to go to Pebble Brook to get into head coaching. And then so he's the head coach at River Ridge right now. And then Coach Durst, Greg Durst, he was at Cherokee for a little bit, uh, left after my freshman year, went to head coaching job at Lassiter. I actually get to coach offensive line with Coach Durst. Coach Collins is the head coach. Gary Roach, who was actually my middle school coach and a lot of people's middle school coaches if they play football for Cherokee. He's one of our community coaches. And then Gary's nephew, Kevin Roach, he played at Cherokee. He's there helping us coach. So it's a really good group of guys. Very fortunate to be around people that I grew up with, looked up to. And actually, you know, Coach Collins and Coach Durst were two of the people as to why I wanted to get into coaching. And so I've always considered it. One of my career goals is that I always wanted is to maybe be able to coach with guys that coach me. And I was very fortunate to do that. I got to coach with Coach Manus for seven years. So I've always been very fortunate to actually get to coach beside men that coached me when I was an athlete. So, so I really phenomenal. enjoy doing yeah. what I do. I guess that's what you would say you would find on Wikipedia, the 33-year resident of Cherokee County. <laughs> and say, it's, you know, that's the cool thing about whenever sixth grade that you came in from Buffington, that's where we met. 
as well, just to be able to have that connection. And my mother's a teacher, so I kind of knew growing up that eventually at some point that was probably going to be what I fell into because it's what I knew, what I was comfortable with. So you said it was around middle school, high school area that you figure, okay, teaching may be something I'm going to want to do. And why do you teach? It's always a tough question. But what about it is for you? I always felt like teachers played a critical role in helping me develop as a person. I've always kind of had the aspect of, or the point of view that if you are willing, you will learn something new every day. And I've always had a lot of teachers that helped me develop. And a lot of times, like, they make that connection. They establish that relationship with kids that maybe don't have something outside of that 745 to for them 815 to 315 so i've just always felt like if i could i feel like i'm a better person today because of teachers that helped me through school and coaches and even band band directors like miss yeah. mullins mr norton mr carter i mean i felt like they played a, a big role in my middle school years i just felt like if i could get into it and maybe help somebody find a purpose make their day make them smile then that's what I wanted to do. And that's the right intentions right there entirely for any teacher right there. If that's what you are waking up every morning to do, you're in the right place. You're in the right spot for it. Schedule's not bad either. No, you definitely can't complain with that, being able to come in, having those break time periods for Thanksgiving, having those for during the summer breaks and winter break to be able to do the holidays. Yeah, you, you can't beat it. But you don't have the same breaks as really the rest of us because you're coaching all the time. Like you're always out there with, with the kids working. Now, being a teacher and being a sports coach, y'all get a lot of sometimes bad, bad rep, unfortunately, which is not right at all because y'all put in really tons of work between the two. Like y'all are constantly building more hours, in my opinion, than we are as in the classroom because you're going straight from classroom, less than an hour after school, you're out there in the gym, then you're getting ready to be out in the field, you're there Friday nights, and you're late there Friday night and you bring them back. And it may be half the year. Then you're, you're doing, you did three sports for a while. Once that one season ends, you're going to the next season. Once that season ends, you may be overlapping with another one, but you're continually going. What are some misconceptions that people have about coaches that you want to kind of fill in and correct? I will say probably one of the first thing is, is a lot of people view coaches as not very smart. Maybe they're just the, the PE teachers of the building, but honestly, you only have about six or seven PE teachers, and not all of them are football coaches. I mean, most of them are coaches, but they coach different sports, baseball, softball, swimming, volleyball. I've actually met some really intelligent people that are coaches. Also, some people might assume that just because somebody coaches a sport, they have an extensive background in that sport. That's not necessarily the case. A lot of times in education, depending on the school systems, one of the things I will say right off the bat is Cherokee County is very fortunate with their athletic programs and finding people that do care for them because one of the things, you don't see it so much in football, but wrestling, being more of a northern sport, not necessarily has established programs at some schools. One of the things I've especially seen with wrestling is you get a warm body. Mm -hmm. and they're just trying to do the best they can and not every school puts that as a priority and it, it's it's sad for the kids like this year i went to a tournament for wrestling and i won't say the school but or the school system but 
they obviously didn't have a wrestling coach and they had to just find somebody to do it. Yeah. So the teacher's there. It was a female. And she was told by the athletic director that you just show up. I'll take care of everything else. I'll handle all the paperwork. I'll do all this. Well, they show up to the first tournament of the season. These kids get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, make weight, and they don't have a weigh-in sheet. They're not in track wrestling. Oh my they gosh. can't even do any of this stuff. So these kids can't wrestle. And a lot of times is you just have to find people in some situations that – I would guess the biggest is like there are people that end up catching sports that they may not know about because it's the best fit for the school at the time due to teaching allotments. I mean, based off this number of students, you only have so many teaching spots and you might have to find somebody that's never played a sport, never coached a sport and just have to say, hey, we'll send you to any clinic, anything that you need to do, but we need you to be there to do it, which is fine and dandy. There are a lot of people that are willing to learn. You got to find people that you can trust to be there. So one of them, I'd say another thing is, is as a coach and especially as a head coach, you have to make what you feel like is the best decision for the program. As a parent, you have every right to worry about your individual kid, which is that's your kid. That's your responsibility. And sometimes the decision you make to help 30, 35 kids doesn't settle with one person. That's hard. And then that makes you a bad person. So you have to definitely have a very thick skin to be a coach. And one of the things is I learned at a young age is like, all right, these are my rules. These are my expectations. And then do you establish these rules, these expectations with a kid that maybe doesn't have the same rules and expectations at home? They're going to break the rules. Yep. And so one of the things that the longer it took me to figure out is the more rules you have, the more rules they have to break. Because not everybody has the exact same expectations. With my parents, like if you signed up for something, you're going to finish it. You're going to do what you're supposed to do. You're going to go to practice. You're going to be there. Yeah. That's it. No There's not necessarily the expectations (laughs) with every kid now. And, you know, it's not necessarily the kid's fault. I've coached some really good kids with some really bad parents. But still, they're really good kids. Yeah. And you know they're really good kids. So I would just say, I guess the misconception that some people might have about coaches is that when they make a decision, they're just being a jerk. And that's that's not the case. I mean, you obviously, you're spending more time. One of the things I've always tell my wrestlers at the beginning of the year when I coach is, look, I'm going to spend more time with you than I'm going to spend with my family. Yes. Every coach in this room is going to spend more time with you from October to February than they spend with their family. You are probably going to spend more time with us between you being at school, going to practice, going home, going to bed, than you're going to spend with your family. And so just understand that every decision that is made in this room is out of respect and what we feel like is the best thing for the team. The team. Yeah, exactly. Not the individual. Yeah. And so coaching, you really have to have some difficult conversations. Uh, You have to make some difficult decisions. And sometimes you just, one of the best advices I've I've ever gotten, he's actually Mr. Santoro, who's the principal at Creekview right now. He was our AD for a couple of years. Is sometimes you just have to listen. True. Doesn't mean you have to do what they're advising you or asking or whatever. Sometimes you just have to listen because that's all they want. Sometimes yep. they want to be heard too. 
and the same person, the same parent that wants you to, oh, well, little Johnny was being a jack wagon at home. Maybe can you run some extra sprints or do something for you? They'll be the first one to be on a witch hunt because you made a bad decision. I've, I've personally experienced this and I've had kids that they don't really have a dad and we don't want you to be so negative all the time because you're more like his father figure and you know what we're not here to be fathers i mean you can say we're here to be a father figure but i'm not here to father your kid like there's somebody out there for that whether it's the stepdad that's there 100 percent of the time it's not me i guess the thing is like what i'm trying to say coaches when they make a difficult decision we're not doing it to be bad people yeah, because so, you have, as you said, 30, 40, yeah. 50 kids that you're yeah, having to look there, out for as a whole. There's expectations. You have to think about everybody. Obviously, you want to be successful, try to be as success, successful as you can be. And so with that comes difficult decisions. And like I said, sometimes you just have to listen. Sometimes that's all they want. They just want to be heard. Yes. And then at the end of the day, you can do everything that you feel like you've done. And they're, somebody's still not going to agree with what you've done yeah you can't please everybody that's it that's just all that's all you can do is just try to do your best now turning with the same question but putting it to special education what are some misconceptions that people have about special education that you would like to clear up some of the special education i feel like it's kind of the same thing is in special education there are difficult conversations that have to be held i mean a lot of times when you go into an iep meeting which is an individualized education plan I always try to talk to the parents, talk to the kids and say, hey, look, like you're going to hear some things that you're not going to like, but it's not just constant bad things. Anytime I could put a compliment into the meeting, yes, I would try to point out something good because a lot of times it is a lot of, well, they can't do this. They can't do this. They can't do this. And because they can't do this, we're going to try this. And so a lot of times it is, it is a lot of negatives. And sometimes the kids, especially in high school, when they're encouraged to be at the IEP meeting. Yes. And they don't have to be at the IEP meetings up until high school. And then high school, we want them there. And then they have to sit there and personally hear all this stuff of what their teacher said, what I can't do, what their parents can't do. And sometimes you just kind of get the feeling that you're just getting ganged up on by your parents, your teachers, and whoever's in the meeting. So I always tried to point out good things when I could, say some good things about them. Sometimes I guess special education teachers, especially in the team teaching aspect, maybe get viewed as not doing a lot because maybe the teacher doesn't necessarily want to team teach. That's a big challenge. Which we, what the definition of team teaching is, is 50-50. I always kind of viewed the aspect of, is I would tell them, is like, this is your classroom. I know it's your classroom. I know I'm coming into your classroom. You let me know what you want. And some teachers, what they want is different than other teachers, what they want. I've been with teachers that if you'll literally just handle the paperwork, that's all I want. Nothing else. I don't want you to come up here and (laughs) teach or put in two cents. So special ed, there's a lot. I mean, necessarily, even though that person might not be up actively teaching, there is a lot of work that goes into special had a lot of paperwork a lot of things that you have to deal with so can you, help you know, even though it might seem like somebody's not doing something in the special ed aspect it doesn't mean that they might not i mean they might be sitting in the back of that classroom working on an iep that's true there's you know, a lot might, of paperwork. it might seem like they're not doing something but they're doing something yeah like and speaking of that like there's the paperwork and stuff that goes on you have like ips 504s you've got bips you've got rtis 
Can you give us a little bit of insight of how long does it take you to write an IEP? What do you have to do to be able to have like a BIP in place for a student? Okay, so for IEPs to start that process is at the beginning of the year, you always sit down and introduce yourself to the kids and the parents. You have to send out the goals and the accommodations to their teachers because they have current goals from the previous IEP that they need to be keeping that on. The teachers need to be doing, because that's how you decide. Are we going to continue with the same goal or are we going to implement new ones? So there's always that beginning of the year process. And then when you get ready to have a meeting in advance, at the beginning of the year, you sit down with your special ed facilitator and this is when the end date of the IEP is. And so... You always try to have it at least no later than two weeks before because, I mean, a parent can't get off work. Something happens. Like you have to reschedule an IEP. The last thing you just want for an IEP to expire before you have a meeting. So rule of thumb is we always might, if a kid's IEP expires July 8th, we might have that meeting June 7th. I mean, just to, you know, if something happens, we have a month to work with. And also you have so many people that have to be at the IP yes. meeting as well, besides just you and that parent or guardian. Yep. So it's a lot of and coordinating. S- and so you send out a notification of the meeting, kind of send out and talk to the parents and hey, this is when the meeting's scheduled. Does this day work? Yes, no, reschedule it, whatever. And then that process, you send out what we call a current functioning report to the teachers. This is the academic strengths, academic weaknesses, behavior strengths, behavior weaknesses. And this is kind of what you make the IEP. This is the bread and butter of the IEP. You have your present level of performance. This is usually at the beginning of the IEP, strengths, weaknesses, medical concerns, anything like that. We have to have the IEP completed about 20 days before the meeting because then the special facilitator, they go in, they review it. All right, looks good. Send it home. You send home the draft. Tell the parents we have a draft letter. Hey, this is just the draft. This is what we're talking about at the meeting. You will get the final IEP at the meeting. At the meeting, you go over the progress report, which is the previous goals, transition plan, which is eighth grade through senior year. Yes. And then at the meeting, you have, you're have you supposed to have a regular ed teacher, hopefully somebody that knows the student. You don't want to just pull somebody in, but I mean, sometimes it sometimes, happens, yep. but you have to have a regular ed teacher. Any service provider. They're at the meeting and then you just sit down and you go through it. Yeah, and sometimes they could be an hour. Sometimes they can be days. Depends yep. upon what's needed at that point in time for that student. Depends on how active the parents are. Yeah, and I've, it's yeah, it's double-edged sword. Sometimes it's great to have that extra involvement. Sometimes it can be detrimental to that student as well. There's always I've had both kids sides. that the parent never came. So then you would go through the IEP with the kid and they'd sign it. Yeah, and that's rough seeing that. It's, no, it's hard. It's, it's hard. Now, jumping backwards back into coaching again is you mentioned that you see the kids more than their families are going to see them. What does like a day, week, or a year in the life of a coach like on and off the field kind of look like? So you're in the locker rooms, you're at practices, you're at meets, you gotta, you're in the weight rooms. What does that look like for you as a coach? I would say the biggest difference between now and when I was in school is – it's almost like everything's year round because everybody has that expectation that no matter what sport you do, even band, drama, something's always going oh, on yeah. in a high school. I will say that. Like you have to check the calendar because something's always going on. 
And so basically, I mean, you get you don't get a lot of time off. I know always with football and wrestling, you got summer workouts. So during the summer, like I would go to a football workout in the morning and then I would come back in the afternoon for a wrestling workout just to give myself some time, maybe to go recoup. to the pool, yeah. spend time with my family, <laughs> and then go back to the school and do the wrestling workout. So a lot of the times during the summer, like I said, I'd go to a football workout go home for a couple hours and then come back home or go back to the school for a wrestling workout in the afternoon football. There's a couple camps we go to that are all day things. Like if we go to the Georgia seven on seven, I'll leave the school at six o'clock in the morning and I'll get home at six o'clock in the afternoon during the summer, man. And then some camps and stuff. GHSA, we do have two dead weeks now, which usually when we were in post planning, like Memorial Day week, that's a dead week. And then the week of the fourth is a dead week, which nobody can do anything, which is good because it gives the coaches time to spend time with their family and the kids to spend time with their family. Because I'm sure without dead weeks, there are coaches that are extremely dedicated to what they do. They probably wouldn't take time off if there wasn't somebody saying you have to take this week off. Then you go into school and a lot of times, depending if you're watching film or something in the morning, you might get to school at 7.15 in the morning. Go from there, go to a morning duty, which I've had bus duty. I just go sit out in the bus lane. Go to your first period class, go through your school day. Then go to an afternoon practice, 5.30, 5.45. And then by the time kids leave, you're talking, you might not leave school. One of the things that's hard sometimes, <laughs> it's like I always try to tell my wife, is like, yeah, practice is over at 5.30, but the last kid might not leave until 5.50. So just because practice is over at 5.30, I might not leave the school until 6 or later. Yeah. So you're talking in coaching, and which any sport, like I said, even with band directors and stuff, because they practice and everything too, you're talking about the average coach, band director, drama teacher who's having play practices. Anybody doing extracurricular activity, you're talking somebody might get at school from 7.45 and they might not leave until 6 or later. Yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of 11, 12-hour days. And then football, you have Thursday night, which is JV freshman games. And so you're talking Thursday, you get to school 7 a.m. for morning practice, leave at 8.30, 9 o'clock that night, roll back in Friday morning. Get there at 7.30, 7.45, and then you have a Friday night game, and you're not leaving until 11, 11.30. Saturday, you break down film, grade film from Friday night, huddle. The program coaches and sports used to exchange film, so there's no more driving and exchanging DVDs like when we were in school in the early 2000s. (laughs) Technology has definitely made it easier. So Saturday, you watch film, grade film from Friday night, and then you're breaking down film who you're playing the next week. And then Sundays, it's usually when we go and watch film, there are coaches that will just go ahead and turn around and do it on Saturday morning. It's really up to your head coach on what you want to do for film. I've always done Sundays, and I've been with coaches that want to sit there on Sunday for seven, eight hours. And I've seen, I've, I've coached with coaches that want you to watch film every day after practice. And so wow, going back to that aspect (laughs) in my first two, three years coaching, I'd get there at seven o'clock, seven 30 in the morning. I wouldn't leave till seven 38 o'clock at night because they would want to watch film after practice because his son was playing middle school football. He had to be there anyways. Yeah. So why not just go ahead, sit there and watch film? Really? I've always, I really like Collins, because the whole thing with Huddle was like you have the ability to sit there and watch film at home 
you know, wherever you're at, wherever you classroom. As long as you're doing what you're supposed to do, he's not going to sit there and keep you away from your family too much. But I've, like I said, I've been with coaches want to come in there and have seven, eight hours on a Sunday. I've been there for four to five hours on a Sunday. Then I've been there where, okay, they, this team does something similar to what we've just seen the week before. It might only be three or four hours. Typically in football, you might, you're talking anywhere from 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. And then wrestling, which football and wrestling, they overlap. So pretty much what I would do, at least for the last 10 years, is you're talking from the last week in July when the first helmet practice starts until February break, nonstop. Man, wow. Practicing during September break, practicing during Thanksgiving break, practicing during winter break. It's nonstop football practices and then there for about three or four weeks, depending, or even later, depending how long your football season goes. Like I know 2020, the pandemic, that was actually ended up being our best football season. We went 11-0, and made it to the Elite Eight, and because GHSA pushed the season back two weeks because of COVID, from the beginning of November up until winter break, I was actually coaching football and wrestling. Oh, so wow. for almost because a good month and a half, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to handle two sports. So October, November is usually pretty busy if you're a football and a wrestling coach because it overlaps. Wrestling, it's a little bit different from football. If you want to get those kids mat time, that's also a big a fundraiser for wrestling programs is to host tournaments. Yeah. So you base your schedule with like you have Wednesday or Thursday night matches. And then you have tournaments on the weekends. And so you pay to go to tournaments. People pay to go to your tournament if you host. So wrestling, you're practicing every day pretty much. 3.30, 5.30, got a kids, got to make weight. Yep. You wrestle whatever weight class you can wrestle. But if you commit to the weight class, then you better make weight. That's always been my rule. Like I'm not going to make you cut weight. But if you say you're going to wrestle this weight class, then you got you better make weight. Because your team's depending on you. And if you don't, then you're sitting out the next week. But wrestling, you might have a Wednesday night match, Thursday night match, which is either just a duel between you and another team, or a try, which is you and two other teams, which is three matches, or two matches. And then Saturday, you go to a tournament. And so at my busiest in November, if football's still going on, I've go through football practice, gone to a Wednesday night match, and then going to a Friday night game and then turn around and had to be back at the school at 6 o'clock in the morning to go to a wrestling tournament and be at a wrestling tournament Man. until 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So it's definitely very busy. And another thing is, I guess you could say the misconception about coaches, we do not do it for the money. You get a you just small stipend. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, like the thing is, is like, you know, working for Coach Collins now is when I was 15, 16 years old, Coach Collins would be having a bad practice or something, and he would sit there and say, you know, I'm out here for eight cents an hour. I'm out here away from my family from eight cents an hour, and this is what y'all give me. And I'm like, eight cents an hour? You know, as a 15-year-old 15, 15 kid, like, there's no way. No way you're out here for eight cents an hour. Well, then, now they're in other four, shoe. like, yeah. ten years, and you get into teaching and coaching, and let's say, used to, they spread it out over your 12 months, and that $2,500 supplement and you split it monthly and then you add in summer workouts, you add in practices, you add in film, tournaments, games, Sunday meetings, whatever. You're like, holy crap. You know, it, it's more than eight cents. It broke down to about 
maybe 25 cents an hour, but like he, he kind of had a point. And then that, taxes hit it. <laughs> like you, he kind of had a point. Like it never made sense until I got into coaching and I figured it out. It's like, all right, this is, I'm taking 60, 70 hours away from my family a week. And you definitely do it because you love it. You, yeah. don't, you don't do it because of the money. You do it because of the connections you can make with kids to help kids. Coaches do spend a lot of time away from their family. So like I said, going back to that misconception, they're, I promise you, that's another reason I say they're not making decisions to be a jerk, to be a bad person, because they're definitely wouldn't be doing what they were doing if they didn't care about your kid or the other. Like right now we have like a hundred kids at football. So wow. like if Mike Collins makes a decision, it's not, it's not because he dislikes you, but there's 99 other kids that he has to think about. Yeah, so it's true. Now, there is different roles that are within the coaching world. You're assistant coach in football, and for a while you were the head coach in wrestling. What's the difference in roles between a head coach and an assistant coach? Assistant coach for football is great. I, I don't have to talk to parents. I, I don't have to worry about paperwork. I don't have to worry about budgeting. I just show up. Coach Collins sends a schedule. He sends a text. Hey, can you do this? Can you do that? And that's that. So, I mean, it's, I, I love it. Like, pretty much in football right now, all I have to do is what he tells me to, which is I coach offensive line with Coach Durst. Every coach has responsibilities. Like, he delegates responsibilities. So, typically, for me in football, my responsibilities are either go with JV or freshman on Thursday. I've called plays for JV or freshman if he wants me to. Friday night, I have my CDL, so I drive a bus to away games. I might help load certain equipment into the trailer. He kind of delegates, all right, you load this, you load that, to try to make sure everything doesn't get forgot about. And coach offensive line, grade film for the offensive line. He might ask me to sit in the freshman locker room, which is we have two locker rooms, so I might have freshman locker room duty, drive the bus, help load the trailer. I'm usually up in the press box on a Friday night, and then on Friday night, I'm usually charting the plays that are called, you know, looking for what I need to look for. That's it. And then head coach, it, it's a lot. Like, it, it is a lot. And I guess basically just being thrown into it at such a young age in first year it's just now it's like yeah whatever but you know at, there are times when you feel like you're barely floating head coach you you got a budget you got to worry about money equipment like hey we need this we need to do that fundraisers what are we going to do as a fundraiser having a parent meeting scheduling workouts scheduling practices scheduling matches and tournaments are you going to go to a camp what are you going to do during the summer when are you going to start your off-season workouts at school what are you going to do developing designing workouts designing practice plans checking paperwork making sure number one thing i would suggest any head coach obviously is to make sure a kid has a physical yes they have to have that before they can do anything else they have to have physical and they have to have insurance they don't have insurance through a parent or a guardian, then there's a company called TW Lord that you can buy insurance for like $75 a year through the school, but they have to have a physical and they have to have insurance. That's it. Yeah. Protect yourself and so, protect that student. 
But you got to make sure kids' physicals are up to date. You got to make sure they're registered. You got to take attendance, make sure kids are coming to practice. Kids not coming to practice, hey, where are you at? Talk to the parents. You know, you got to talk to parents of the head coach, making sure the equipment and everything runs smoothly. Budgeting junior programs, you got to worry. I mean, you got to make sure that you have a feeder program because if you don't have a feeder program, then you're not going to have a lot of kids at high school. It's, it's a lot of paperwork and communication and worrying about budgeting, I would guess, is I'd say the difference between a head coach and an assistant coach. It's just basically the paperwork and the talking with the parents, having booster club meetings, things like that. Yeah, that's definitely a lot. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, you're still planning for your classroom when you're in there as well. Oh, yeah, so. and, you, and you do all this, and you still have to make sure you're able to do 745 to 345. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it's a lot on anyone's plate. You mentioned a lot with having to deal with parents, having to deal with a student. I'm going to write some notes on this one because I'm always looking for extra tips here of what strategies do you use to help dealing with players' discipline issues? Because that's something that's massive. And that's going to vary. Yeah. Each. Like I said earlier, one of the things I've learned from the get-go is the, the more rules you have, the more rules you have to worry about them breaking. For me in wrestling, the biggest thing was just like, look, if you're not here, I can't depend on you to make weight. I can't let you wrestle off for a varsity spot. And I've had kids that made varsity spots and they've missed a tournament. And I'm like, well, if you missed a tournament, you've let your team down, so you get to sit out of the next one. If you miss weight, you let the team down, you get to sit out of the next one. I guess it just depends on like the situations because you, every now and then you do come across some kids that do have a really bad home life. And then you also find yourself sitting in that situation as coaches having a conversation behind closed door. It's like, yes, Johnny comes from a home that has a mom, a dad, consistent jobs, da 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 da. And he misses practice, whatever. But then Jim's coming from a home that has a guardian, mom or dad not in the picture, has a bad home life. But if he misses a, he misses practice, are you going to hold Johnny and Jim to the same standard? It's like one of the things that I found myself is you try to be more lenient with kids that have that bad situation. And then a lot of the times, like with those kids, you just find yourselves having that conversation behind closed doors and saying, look, like, this is where you're at. This is what you're doing. Even though you have a difficult situation, you're given some leniency and you're taking advantage of it. And so... You just kind of have to find yourself, like, where do you draw the line and say, all right, come back, maybe try it again next year. Like, yeah. I've had, I had that deal with a kid like that this year. Great kid, has an extreme amount of potential, and it just got to the point where I said, look, man, I was like, this is like strike five. Mm. And, you know, I don't want to, but I have to at some point, like, it's still, everybody knows your situation. It's not like it's a surprise. Each circumstance, yeah, as you said, is different. And then you have to be able to make that judgment call. And that's hard as a yeah. coach and as a parent, too, so, to be able to, and you got to be able to. You got to make that make judgment that call. call. And are you going to yeah. hold this kid to the same standard as the rest of them? So it's it's hard. Then the next comes the academic portion. Because, again, they're in practice with you for two or three hours after school. They're having the events here. Oh, yeah. And that's another thing a head coach is doing is checking grades. Yep. So, I mean, you're, you got to make sure they're obviously passing their classes. I know some schools do, some schools don't. Do y'all have to like, hey, we have from three o'clock till say four o'clock is study hour or hey, that, you know, 
we have sometimes we get some tutors that come in to kind of help out. Do y'all have, is that something that's offered? At, I know they do it at colleges. Do they do that at high schools? Basically, the way it, that works is, is almost every teacher at River Ridge High School offers tutoring in some way, shape, or form. They may break it down by department. It might not necessarily be going to tutoring with your teacher per se, but you would be going to tutoring with somebody in that department. And so a lot of the times, some teachers offer tutoring from 745 to 815. So it is encouraged that you go to tutoring during that time. So, or during your lunch, get a hall pass from your teacher. There are a lot of opportunities to get tutoring before practice, not during practice. You will have kids that, oh, I... Well, I can't. I just have to go during practice. Well, no, you don't. You're making the choice to go because you didn't get here at 745. Yeah. You didn't go to tutoring at 745. You wanted to sit in the cafeteria and talk to your friends instead of going to your teacher during lunch. So now you're choosing to miss practice because you didn't do what you're supposed to do. And that's the accountability portion. So that's the accountability yeah. portion. So It's a lot. <laughs> you're able to keep up with all those different things here. Now, what do you recommend to parents to help their athlete off the field during an off season, or if they're struggling out of position, just, Hey, maybe next year, what, what can you be able information to offer that parent of the student athlete? I would just say, be involved, be up to date. There are so many forms of communication now. I mean, emails, social media platforms. I mean, remind 101, group me, team snap, whatever app you try to use. For your team, there's so many forms of communication. And one of the things I heard every year as a head coach, we just didn't know what was going on. Okay, so you didn't get the email, you didn't get the tweet, you didn't get the Facebook post, you didn't get the group me, like I don't know what else to do. So a lot of the things I would say is just make sure that you stay up to date. There are plenty of ways that coaches try to communicate with parents. It's not just an old-fashioned email, you know, check your email. I mean, there are multiple platforms that coaches and teams use nowadays to try to get communication across. And I would say is just be up to date and pay attention because a lot of the times is, you know, your kid's not going to come home and tell you everything. How was school? Oh, it was great. Yeah. What'd you do at school? What'd you do at school today? Nothing. Yep. Did they really (laughs) do nothing at school for eight hours? Come on. I mean, it's communication. So I would say is just make sure that you're following whatever platform, check your email, whatever it is that you need to do to stay up to date, write the calendar down, know when they need to be there. That that, that's the thing is when they need to be there, they need to be there. And I've always told kids and the breaks are great. Like, don't get me wrong. The breaks are great. But at the same time, it's like I've always told the kids and I was like, I get it. at the end of the day, you're going to do what your parents tell you you need to do. But. If you want to be successful at something, you might not need to take that ski trip, that beach trip, that commitment. I mean, you got to ask yourself, like at the end of the day, what's what's your what's your goal? Like, what is your goal? Is it to, or do you want to be a starter? Do you want to be as good as you can be? Or are you are you okay with just being a part of something, making it a hobby, doing whatever? I mean, I guess it would just say is like, where does your kid see themselves? Where do they want to be? What do they want to do? And try to go from there. Like I know I told kids, I said, I I get it. It's hard. Like your parents, they want to go on a ski trip because they want to go on a ski trip. That, yeah, I get it. Like that stinks because you're missing like two weeks worth of practice. But at the same time in February, if you don't make it to state, that's not my problem. Yeah. It's it's hard. And so I would just say like if, if you're a parent, 
there are plenty of times that you can go on trips and do things if you base your schedule around the breaks just find out what your kid wants what's their goal what do they see are they are they trying to be a starter are they trying to keep their starting spot what are they doing i mean even during football season during september break we give them days like every cherokee county school has a bye week during september break yes and so hey play a game on friday go to the beach saturday but hey you just need to make sure you're there for the thursday evening practice like you have Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we don't practice till five o'clock on Thursday. Like even if you're leaving Thursday morning, like you have time to still go be a family, still go be, be there yeah. for those two or three practices that we're asking you to be there for. And so like even then, like in wrestling, it's the same way. Like I'm not practicing Thanksgiving morning. I'm not practicing Christmas morning. Like I'm giving you four or five days with your family, but the three or four days that I'm asking you to be there, like you need to be there. Yeah, because you're taking your time yeah. as well. A lot of students... A lot of kids are starting to find the podcast here and there. Do you have anything that you want to say to your current or former student slash athlete players? Because it's always a good to give them an opportunity if they found us here and say, hey, I know you're there. This is what I want you to know. <laughs> One of the things I've, I, like I've always tried to tell kids that, that I'm coaching, obviously, even professional athletes, your day of playing is going to come to an end. The, the physical demand of a sport takes its toll on your body. So you're not going to play sports forever. Yeah. And so if you really like sports, then like me, find your try to find your way into a coaching role. If you don't want to be a teacher, go coach a little league team. I mean, there's being official. There's a lot of ways that you can still stay involved in a game. One of the things I've always said is if I don't teach you anything about sports i'm gonna try to teach you a life lesson and part of that showing up every day being on time and one of the things i've always told the wrestlers is like i want to hear from you i don't want to hear from your mom yeah like if you're not going to be at practice i want you to text me or i want you to send me a message on group me and i want you to tell me you're not going to be at practice be an advocate and i want you to tell me why that was another thing is like i was like well i'm not going to be there why they feel like just not telling you is a, a, it's okay. And it's like, no, like, I want to know why you're not going to be here. What's more important? What's going on? Like, I've always tried to be understanding. Like, why aren't you going to be here? That's true. And so the biggest thing is, is like they need to understand is like the accountability and the communication. Like, this is a job. You need to be here. You need to be on time. And you'll find good things. And I was like, anything else? You know, academics sports i said the work you put into it is what you're going to get nobody owes you anything you're not supposed to be given anything i said oh well you should have gotten no you shouldn't have you got exactly what you earned yep like you earn everything you get you earn your grade you earn your starting spot you earn a win you earn a loss because you worked harder than the person that you're going against i was like a lot of times we have this misconception in my opinion that Oh, I should have known. Well, did you earn it? Like, you earn everything you get. So, yep. and that's not always things I try to tell the kids. Is like, no matter what we do in school, because things change all the time, it's like, as far as I know, colleges aren't changing. Jobs aren't changing. You can still fail a college class. You can still get fired from a job. And so I always just try to tell the kids, is like, look, I want to try to prepare you for what comes after high school. And I always like, hearing from former kids seeing what they're doing with their lives like now i'm to the point where 
the kids I coached my first year, they're they're grown, they're married, and they have kids. That's true. Like, yeah, we're now at that age. Kid, I had a kid that wrestled for me my first year, and his son is in the junior was in the junior program for wrestling. <laughs> oh man! So Woo. I always like seeing how everybody being successful, like and seeing how everybody's doing. Now we've talked a lot of wide discussion, a lot of things here. Is there any? thing that we did not discuss or anything of words of wisdom that you just want to say today this is a, a different platform for you i mean no that's pretty much it's pretty much everything and it's like i told all the kids it's like you got to be dependable you reap what you sow you know it's a lot of work sports are very demanding it's it's year round pretty much and whether you're going through the normal season at school a lot of people try to specialize in things so when they're not in season they go to a some kind of training facility and i mean it's it's you gotta work like it's hard it's hard work it all depends on also like what i always try to tell the kids is what's your goal is it just to be a high school athlete like are you done after your senior year are you trying to be a college athlete and part of that's you're finding your why like why are you wanting to do this you can't be successful at something if you don't know why you do it that's true that's why at the beginning I asked that question, why do you teach? Because yeah. that's a you don't know your why, know. then yeah. it's going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of miserable <laughs> days. Yeah, exactly. Joe, thank you for spending your time coming out here with us today. You've given us a lot of good nuggets of information. I hope parents, students, other teachers, just in general, a person in life, hear this and gain some new insights here because that's a, a very important thing as we continue to learn from each other. And being able to peek open that door really, for me as well, being a teacher, was amazing because I didn't know a lot of those things. I had heard things or had seen things, but hearing it from, as they say, the horse's mouth makes a, a big difference there. So thank you, Joe, for giving us your time, especially this is one of your off weeks and yeah. you scheduled up to come out here to be able to, to sit with me this, this morning for an hour and a half to sit back and talk. So much appreciation, Joe. Thank you for having me. If you would like to reach out, I do have multiple ways for you able to do so. I have both Twitter and Facebook. Look under Learning From Friends and Learning From Friends Podcast. There is a website you can be able to go to learningfromfriends.com. I have an email that can be able to reach out, which is Cade, which is spelled C-A-D-E at learningfromfriends.com. If you would really like to, you can contribute to my Patreon page, which can be searched under Learning From Friends. I don't have any levels or special things to be able to contribute. I teach. I do the podcasts. I am a one-man band to be able to do all the editing and everything. So just a dollar or two a month would be deeply appreciated. And as we all know, before we leave out of every episode, I always like to give the same sign-off of, my name is Kay Curtis, your tour guide from Learning From Friends. And most of all, don't forget to let your curiosity fly high.